You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What's up, everybody? Jared Sandler here welcoming you into the Just a Sec conversation. If you're new, this is your first time. Welcome. Thanks so much for clicking on the link and getting this far. If you're a returner, welcome back. Really excited to share with you episode 39 with DFW's own Miles Turner. First of all, I want to remind you, subscribe, like, comment, share. I'd really appreciate it. Whether it's this particular interview, this link, or just the channel, youtube.com slash SandlerJ1. If you're already listening and you're on the link, it's it's easy to find. But I'd really appreciate if you would share uh, this content with your friends, family, whomever you think might be interested. All sorts of stuff on this channel, so feel free to explore, not just the Just a Sec conversation series. So I wanted to talk with Miles Turner because he's a developing, blossoming NBA star, and he's from right here. He's DFW zone and then went to the University of Texas and now plays for the Indiana Pacers. But the real reason beyond that, because we've got plenty of athletes who have come from DFW, plenty of athletes who played collegiately in the state of Texas. But it's Miles' story. Reading up on him, doing the research on Miles was so fun, but also challenging because I knew I didn't have five hours to talk with him. I had, you know, a, a limited amount of time, and there's so much I was captivated by that I wanted to ask him about. I think at his core, if you heard the end of my conversation with Harlan Coben in episode 38 as I was outroing and, and previewing this episode, I talk about Miles's giving nature and his desire and ability and willingness to connect with people. You know, it's not NBA star connects with non-NBA star. It's it's a person connecting with a person. He's got similar qualities in that regard to Josh Howard. If you had a chance to listen to my conversation with Josh Howard earlier in this series, I was just blown away by Miles Turner. I walked away thinking to myself, man, not only do I want to root for this guy, but anything he does, I'd like to support him. So here you go. Episode 39 of the Justice Set Conversation with Indiana Pacers big man, Miles Turner. All right, Miles, I always like to lead with this. Take it whatever direction you'd like. When you think back to your childhood, what are some of the things that, that stand out most to you? Interests, experiences, uh, you know, people of influence. It, the, the floor is yours. Just the, the first things that kind of jump out to you. Uh, just about the state of Texas or just in general? Just growing uh, up wherever. Um, well, really, I mean, I love my experience here in the state of Texas, man. I mean, I've obviously traveled. Uh, quite a bit, traveled the world a little bit, traveled about the states, and, and there's no place like Texas. I mean, growing up, I just remember just having the fond memories of really in the really in the, the winter and the fall. Like that was like my favorite time of the year, just kind of be outside. And I was one of the kids. Like, I, I just missed that generation of like technology and everything, so I was one of the kids. I was still 
you know, playing outside every day, just uh, kind of being out and about. My parents took a big happy role in making sure I had, you know, a great experience, um, you know, a great childhood. So, man, I had a lot of fun. I mean, I just, you know, my parents obviously were a huge influence in my life, and you know, I definitely have, um, you know, some of my friends I grew up with that have really shaped my own experience, but um, I love the same things. I, I think I read somewhere, Miles, that when you were three, your your I, I don't know if it was your mom or both your parents. They wanted you to get a, a basketball hoop, but instead of one of those mini ones, they had it set at ten feet. Uh, w- what do you remember about that? Just probably trying your hardest for a few years just to get it up to where it was even close to the rim. Yeah, so my dad had wanted to give me like a little tight hoop, and um, just to have me start working on that. I was only like two or three years old, probably, and my mom. And uh, like the hell, with, the hell with that. You know, if we're gonna do it, I should do the whole thing. So she got me an actual full size, ten foot goal, and uh, obviously a struggle for the longest time trying to get the ball up there. But you know, I also had one of those little laundry baskets in my room. You know, where, like you shoot your you dirty clothes and whatnot. So I kind of just started there and uh, progressed my way up. One of the things, Miles, I think stands out, both your parents worked really hard, uh, and your your mom was in the hospitality industry, uh, and I just finished reading a book about the hospitality industry. I, I imagine she has some some pretty interesting stories from her experiences doing uh, hotel stuff, but but what did, what did that, I guess at what point did you realize, hey, like, I, I got two parents who are busting their tail for me, and, and how did that impact you when you were old enough to kind of understand what they were doing and, and how it impacted you? Well, the biggest thing my parents did was, you know, we obviously weren't the most financially sound family, but, you know, and I mean, we definitely weren't poor either, but my parents made it, um, never made it feel like we didn't have, or we, we, were, we were wanting for things. You know, they always tried to do whatever it took to get us every one and whether that was like a mini vacation, like you said, my mom worked in the hospitality industry. So we would just drive like, 30 minutes up uh, up the road to Frisco, Texas, and stay at like a, one of the, the hotels out there that was under her um, Starwood property. So that to us was like the best thing in the world. So they would try to do little things like that to kind of keep our minds off of, you know, what was really going on. And I didn't, it didn't really hit me until I was about to leave for college. Um, you know, it's a crazy story. Like I was, um, you know, I was supposed to go into the mail, but I was going through, going through the mail one day. And then I had opened one of my dad's letters. It was actually a letter from the um, from the IRS or, or one of the um, one of the auditing companies, and it's basically saying that. And it, I saw how much our family was in debt. Basically, I don't remember the exact number, but I saw how in debt we were, and it kind of that was like the trigger for me. When once I saw that, I was like, man, I gotta I gotta find a way to make it somehow, some way. I always just kind of played basketball for fun. I always just kind of did it just to you know just for the attention and. It was, it was just fun to do for a little while, but, you know, once I got into college, I knew I had a chance to take it to a professional manner, so I just put all my eggs in one basket and rolled with it. And it's obviously worked out in a big way, and, and there's so many really neat stories along the way. One one that I read was uh, you you worked out with your dad. I don't know if you still do or, 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 or you know, how long that lasted, but your dad had uh, was, was overweight, and you guys worked out together. And I... You know that I guess you don't hear that too often. What what, what was that like, and, and how much fun was that for you to do something? I don't know if you enjoy working out or not. I know some people do; others do it because they need to. But to be able to share that with your dad, what was that like? Yeah, no, at the time it sucked. I hated working out back then. <laughs> you know, I was, uh, you know, my dad. You know, it's it's funny because you know, I had a couple of my boys with me right now, and you know, my cousin. He was a uh, he's someone that used to come to my house all the time, and. And all my friends know, like, if you come over, it's cool. You can spend night over my house, you can have fun. 
but just know you're getting up in the morning and working out. So whatever I did, my friends had to do. And some of my friends weren't athletic at all. You know, they would they would just be just, just P guys, everyday guys that kind of go to school, average Joe's, but they would still have to do all my workouts per se. So with my dad, he really got me started working when I was 12 or 13 years old, like just a little bit harder. You know, I was a, I was a little overweight. I, I wasn't always – for most of my life, I've been skinny. I was a little overweight at the time. Uh, but he got me starting to run every day. We would ride our bikes together. He'd ride, he would ride his bike to school with me every single morning. Um, he would make me do abs every single night. We had a Bowflex machine. Um, and he was on a weight loss journey as well. You know, he was tipping the scales at about 500 pounds. And he lost 165 pounds just in a matter of a year and a half, two years, just us consistently working out every day. And I, actually, and I got in shape as well. So, um, you know, obviously not, you know, we don't do the same workouts you know, we used to, or we're not, we're not really in a position to do some of the workers that I do nowadays, but that experience definitely kind of shaped a little bit of my childhood because it made me, it produced a work ethic. Like it made me lock in and focus into becoming something greater than what my friends were, were doing. You know, I really, I was that kid who was always, you know, I never really stayed at school. I never was able to, you know, hang out at the mall or go to parties and all that kind of stuff. You know, my dad established that work ethic in me from a very, young age and it rolls over to the day. And and I know that as a family you guys spent a lot of time in the car driving from this place to that place and you know this tournament or game what have you and and, and I had the same experience with my dad Miles. I, you know I grew up in the DFW area and my dad would drive me all over. He he was the dad who, you know, as best as he could wouldn't miss a game and whether it was you know, a quiet car ride after I lost a sporting event or, you know, the the good times, the bad times. It, that, that was really special for me. And I remember when I turned 16, I was fortunate to get a car and it was cool, but I, I, I missed my dad driving me around. I, I'm curious, what are, you, what are your memories or uh, your, your thoughts when you think of that time when, when your family would spend all this time in the car going from place to place? Yeah, man, it was good bonding time. It was really just us four, you know, I have a little sister as well. And, um, man, we've driven everywhere, bro. We've driven from Texas to Vegas, Texas to Florida, Texas to Minnesota, Texas to Virginia, like just countless drives, 15-hour-plus drives. And, you know, amongst that time, it's just a great time for the family to kind of get together and just uh, and bond in, in, in a little bit, you know. And I was, a, I was a little asshole, man. I was like, you know, 15, 16 years old going through puberty, like parents are annoying, like no one can tell me anything. So for the most part, I just had my headphones on. We kind of kept it pushing, but – over time, I came to kind of appreciate the experience because, you know, my parents put literally everything to the side just to make sure I got to my tournaments. You know, like my dad, he, my dad never missed a high school game. You know, he worked the night shift from like, well, he probably wouldn't have worked around five o'clock. I didn't see him. or well, I didn't really see him. He didn't get back home until two o'clock in the morning, but he would find his lunch break to come to all my high school games, whether we were playing in Irving, South Lake. Colleyville, Arlington, no matter. He found a way to get there from the airport. Never missed a high school game, man. That's um, it just speaks volumes to uh, you know just, just you know a parent's love for a child. You know they did they put all they did whatever it took for me to make it to this level. And yeah, those those, those car trips definitely serve as a lot of a uh, lot of fond memories for me. Miles, I think you know beyond the fact that you're having all this success as an NBA player, which certainly is awesome. I think for me. The coolest thing about Miles Turner is that Miles Turner is is Miles Turner. You, you, you're so comfortable being you. You've got all these different interests. You love talking about it. Uh, you don't you don't really care about what someone else might think, and that's that's tough. All. That's you know like not 
It's easy to say that, and I think a lot of people know that that's how you're supposed to live life, but it's tough to do uh, that. How, how did how did you get to that point where you were just comfortable being you and you didn't really care if someone uh, judged you for this or judged you for that? You know, it's funny. I was really just talking to my mom about this last night, man. It's just, you know, once you once you get like a once you get more money and more income comes in, you know, pure people expect you to change. Per se, the people expect the people always say you changed or you're you're different or you're this or you're that. And what I realized, man, is that me myself, like I've never changed. I've had the same personality. I was a I was a nerdy kid in high school, but you know, at the same time, I got along with everybody because I had a whole bunch of different friend groups. I was friends on the nerds. I was friends on the jocks. I was friends with you know, the weird kids, I was friends with, like, drama club. I, I had friends in every single friend group. So I was able to diversify at a very young age. And that has served well for me to this day. You know, I just, I'm able to kind of relate to a whole bunch of different demographics. And um, it's easy for me just to just to be myself at all times, you know. Um, and, man, once you come into income, once you get more money, bro, like, you like really, you know, for me personally, it doesn't change me. The people around me change. You know, your, your quote-unquote friends or people you thought you were friends, are the ones that start to change. Their perception of you changes. They expect more from you. But lo and behold, you're still the same person that you were before the money, you know? And that's and that's one thing I can also appreciate because there there are plenty of situations where you hear, you know, people get rich and they change. They switch up on the people they came up with. They switch up on their family members. And I've never been able to fathom the thought of doing that. You know, I still have the same friends that, you know, I started with, you know, for the most part. And, you know, I just, I'm just myself, man, at all costs. And another thing too, man, another thing about just about about your personality is once you start to change, people see right through you. You know, you try to be something you're not or try to claim you're 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 from somewhere where you're not, people see right through that and you just look like a clown, man. I mean from them I always tell people I'm from Bedford, Texas. I mean, you may not know where it's at, but I'm never I'll never claim to be from anywhere else, you know. I love I claim the Dallas Fort Worth area, but you know, Bedford, Texas is where I'm from, it's what made me, it's where I grew up. The Hershel's Bedford area, so um, yeah, man, like I just, I have no means to change and there's no reason to. And, and you seem like an incredibly curious person just based on the fact that you've got all these different interests, uh, and, and, you know, things I've read, you're still trying to learn about this or lo- trying to learn about that. I think, you know, you recently like with, with stock market and investments and stuff, where did that curiosity come from? Is that something you got from your parents? Is it something you developed at a young age? Where does that trace back to? Well, I've always been a cerebral guy. I've always been into my studies and whatnot. And, you know, I, at the time, you know, school was, you know, it wasn't a choice. You know, it's like my, my parents expected nothing but excellence when it came to my schooling. And it goes to the same thing with my sister. You know, just, we couldn't bring any seeds in the house. Like, we don't have any, you know, we couldn't, um, couldn't watch TV during the week. You know, I, I couldn't play video games during the school year. The only time I love playing video games at the summertime or sneak to my friend's house and play. And, like, we had a very, solid upbringing and a very and a lot of structure in our household and um i think that's kind of where it comes from even now today like i only spent six months in college you know so it's not like i was able to learn stuff about the real world you know the stuff they teach you the curriculum in our in our schooling systems you know you 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 learn stuff but you don't learn stuff about the real world until you get to actual college classes and stuff like that and even then you got to pay for it so i mean i think now just like trying to get into the stock market or just trying to learn about finances i'm trying to learn about things that are um, that are tailored to my lifestyle. I try to learn about more business because I'm not going to be able to, you know, I'm not going to shoot the basketball forever. You know, I'm not going to be able to play in this league or generate this income for, you know, forever. I got about 10, 10 maybe 15 years max of this. So, you know, you got to look at stuff outside of your profession. And that's really where the curiosity came from. You know, it's a time like this where I'm at the house all day, really don't have much to do. 
you know, eventually you get tired of playing video games and just watch TV. So I just try to exercise my mind a little bit and just expand my, expand my knowledge, expand my way of thinking. All right, Miles, uh, I want to spend a little time talking about basketball. Uh, and, and I want to start with when you were 14, you fractured your tibia, I believe. Uh, and I, I'm curious, how important was that as far as giving yourself some perspective on how much you really loved basketball? Because I think I read that you were maybe on the path to getting burnt out or, or having some, some hesitancy about whether you wanted to really commit. Uh, so what was that, what was that time period? Like how, how important was that for you? Yeah, no, it was everything in my career because I was getting burnt out. You know, my dad was just a basketball freak, basketball enthusiast. And I had been playing for, for four different teams at one time. And like, I was, you know, it was literally as soon as I get off from school, like, okay, we're going to drive to flower mound. We got to go to practice. At the flower mound, we need to drive to. Um, we got to drive back home. We need to get this workout in. And the next day, it's okay. We got to drive to. Uh, we got to drive to um, the Dallas and we get this next workout in. It, it got to the point where I was just like just over it. You know, I was. I wanted to be a normal kid and I wanted just to uh, go to school with my friends, hang out, and be like the rest of the guys. But when I broke my ankle, um, it made me just take a step back. You know, it was a force. It was a force break. You know, it was a blessing in disguise because I realized how much that. I missed the game and I realized how much I missed just competing and just being out there, you know? So it just gave me some perspective more than anything. You know, I, I wasn't ready to call it quits yet. And, um, I once I started coming back and I put in so much work, man, like, you don't understand, like I literally, you know, my, my, my trainer slim, you know, Ken Roberts, and he's a very, he's a pretty touted trainer here in the Dallas Fort Worth area. He's, he's pretty well known. He's trained a number of NBA guys. We work together every day, like two or three times a day. And dad had me, lifting your rides, I would go lift with him. We were shooting the chair and like literally every single day for like five months. And I got stronger. My mental game got better and I just developed a different mindset. And it was just, um, you know, no looking back from there. All right. Now you, uh, you go to Texas and then you spend a year there. I know you loved it in Austin, still love Austin. Uh, and you go to the Pacers. When you think of your, your rookie year to where you are now, what are some of the things you've learned about just being a, a relied upon guy? You know, not, not being, uh, not that there's anything wrong with this, but not being the, you know, the 10th guy on the roster, but, you know, being a guy that the organization is counting on. How has your understanding of what that means evolved over the last few years? Well, I think that the journey is different for everybody. You know, my coming into my rookie year, I was told right away that, listen, like, you may not start during the year, but we're gonna we're, we're gonna need you. Like we, we need you to play. So once you get that confidence, and someone you know the president of the team tells you that at the time it was Larry Bird. Once someone like Larry Bird tells you that, it's like you know it changed your whole mindset. It's like oh well, well you know well, well, well shoot. I mean I I got the key now. It's up to me what I'm gonna do with it. So um, I think that when I was coming in, I think my, I had to work on more of my off the court stuff in a sense. And I've always like I said always been like a good kid and whatnot, but you know, I had to mature very quickly. You know, I was 19 years old. I was still in college mode. Like, I was still wanting to live the NBA lifestyle, but, you know, still had to get my work in, per se. So, it was a lot of stuff that went into it. But once I kind of started to figure it out, um, it, it, it all worked out, you know, perfectly. You know, I had a great head coach my first year, Frank Vogel. He installed a lot of confidence in me. I mean, he... He just told me, like from the jump, man. Every time, every time you catch the ball, you, you got to shoot it. Every time you defensively, you got to block everything. Once you have someone very supportive like that when you're 19 years old in your circle, it helps you out. You know, I think I hear a lot of stories where guys come in this situation or rosters where the coach is a lot harder on them than they're supposed to be, you know, or, or showing them tough love per se. 
and you know it, it can really burn a guy out for someone who doesn't know what's going on or what lifestyle they get into. So I think I just came into a really good situation and um, was able to thrive in it. You know, wasn't able, I didn't let the opportunity slip. And and I think I read that you know you you give a lot of credit to Al Jefferson, I believe, and, and kind of helping you and, and yeah. mentoring you. What what sort of an impact did he have on you? Yeah, so my first year I had actually it was Yamahimi and CJ Miles. Those are like my two guys. And CJ Miles, another you know Dallas Fort area Scott Skyline High School is a legend. Everybody knows about CJ. Yeah. And he was on my team, you know, and he was the kind of a guy that I could talk to about real life stuff or league stuff, and he would kind of lace me with information, you know. Then Yan, he was the other big on the team, and he was the top dog at the time. So we kind of were able to, you know, we obviously competed, but he kind of gave more insight. He was a guy who won a championship ring in, in um. In San Antonio, a guy who's kind of he's been in the league for a while, but yeah, once Big Al came along, uh, he took you know me under his wing, and we uh, he's just a cool dude, man. Like he he did what he could on the court. He was a, he was an incredible offensive player, but he was obviously towards the end of his career when he came to the Pacers. But just as a mentor, just as like a life, someone who's just seen a lot in his life, he was able to kind of just uh, bless me with a lot of bless me with a lot of knowledge. Did you? Uh, I, I know growing up, uh, you know in Bedford, I, I know you loved Dirk. Did you? Talk at all to to Jan about his time with the Mavericks and winning a title with the Mavericks. I said San Antonio. He he won a title with them. I was thinking of George Hill. Um, yeah, he won a title with the Mavericks. That's what I meant to say. Good, good catch right there. Um, um, no, but, but with um, as far as Jan's time with the Mavericks, we didn't have too much dialogue about it. But you know, I do remember him seeing him in that championship series. You know, he came in as a role player, provided a lot of energy, and um, you know, I, I love that. I love those um, those Mavericks teams, man. Those two years, it was. The buzz around the city was different. It was just kind of cool to see the team come together and just uh, really when they won the championship, it was awesome, man. You just you had like little vendors on the side of the street selling T-shirts, and I wasn't used to seeing that, you know. It was just you know, especially in the Hershel Deford area, we were so far removed, thirty minutes outside of Dallas, you don't see a whole bunch of that. But um, watching the way the city was able to rally together and come together around the team, and just going watching the finals with my dad, like it was just the dopest thing. I know you, you grew up a fan of Dirk, and I know, I imagine you, you've played against him unless just some sort of bad luck. You, you've One of you has missed out on all the, the matchups before he retired, but have you talked to Dirk at all? Do you have any sort of a relationship with him? We don't have much of like a personal relationship, but I actually used to work out um, at the Mavericks facility in the summertime. I played some pickup games over there, and... Um, yeah, me and me, I got to talk to him a little bit. Just he, he, I worked out with him a couple times, and that was kind of cool just to get that experience. Man, it was his last year before he retired, so it was cool just to kind of uh, be a part of that. Um, uh, I guess be a part of that camaraderie, man. It's, it's, it's somewhere where I grew up, and the team I grew up watching, and the guy you know, um, watching as well. So just kind of being able to share the court with them was like the coolest thing to me. All right, Miles. One of the coolest things that I have seen is Turner's block. And I don't know why more people don't know about this. I'm embarrassed that I didn't know about it until I read the your Players' Tribune article. Someone mm-hmm. tipped me off uh, towards that. Can, for for people who have no idea, can you share what Turner's Block is and 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 how did this idea come about? Well, Turner's Block itself is a I like to call it an experience. You know, I think it's a fun fan experience for you know people to come out and be able to just. Uh, well, I guess I'll, let me start with the backstory. So Turner's Block, it's, it's a section in Banker's Life Fieldhouse. It's in the, it's in the, second, in the, um, um, the second section, and it's about uh, roughly, roughly 80, 80 to possibly 100 people up there, and they're just on their feet the entire game. 
they they heckle the other the other team when at the free throw line. Like they just they make the game so much more fun and maniacal. Like the, the atmosphere there is like a college atmosphere. And Turner's Block, they're just my supporters and our and our team supporters. So what I do is I have auditions every single year. It's exactly what it sounds like. I give the people. 10 to 15 seconds to come up and just act as crazy as possible. Literally, you can do whatever you want, like come up with whatever you want to do, but just act crazy. And I'm judging people on how crazy they are, per se. And those are the people that I want in my section. I want the crazy people in my section. So, you know, the fans come out, they show up, they show up, they show in and show out every year. Um, once your intern is blocked, you can't miss a game. Like you, you have, I have people that travel from Illinois. I have people that travel, you know, from, South Bend, like two, two, three hours away, just to make every single patient's game. But once you're in the section, like you, it's your section. You got to take ownership in it. And what I do with it, I have a host. You know, yearly block parties. Like people come together, and I have a, uh, um, well, I have a charity that I run in India. It's called Warm. It stands for We All Really Matter. And what it help, what that does is it helps target the, um, you know, less fortunate homeless. What we do is we put these go bags together. You know, toothbrush, toothpaste, hand warmers, little spare change, like. Hand sanitizer, anything you can think of, you put it in a bag and you keep it in the back of your car and, and then you pass them out, you know, the people that may be in need. And they kind of help me put those together as well. So there's a lot of stuff I do with it, but the main purpose of it, obviously, is just to, it's for it's to support throughout the game and to kind of uh, let, the, let the opponents know that, like, they're, you're in Bankers Life Fieldhouse now, like, you're within the fire. That's that's so cool, and, you know, you always see these, these sections and there's a, a player's name that's maybe branded, but to have the, the type of hands-on uh, impact on that. That that's I think that's really cool, and obviously that's the right state too because basketball in Indiana is uh, such a huge deal. Uh, Miles, you, you're a captain, and you know, it, it, gosh, it's crazy. At 21, you were the longest tenured Pacer, uh, which is is highly unusual. But uh, you seem like someone who would really embrace the idea of being the captain. What is, what is a, you know having that sort of added responsibility mean to you and and what are some of your thoughts on on the right way to go about leadership? You know, it's funny, man. I feel like I've always been thrust in a leadership role. Just I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if it's how I was raised or just seeing my parents be able you know, to lead their, you know, lead their respective groups at work. I've always been into a leadership role. When I was younger, my AU team, I was a team leader. High school, you know, I was obviously a team leader. College, you know, I was a freshman, but you know, you know how that goes. But once I got into my third year, I was a team leader again, and I feel like it's just a role that. I I'm continuing to to learn and continuing to get better at, but it's a thing where guys got to respect you for saying, I think guys respect the way I work. I respect the way I go about my business and um, they're able to kind of fall in line. And, um, you know, being a leader is not easy. You know, you want to, you know, you, it's very, it's, it's very easy being a sheep, being a follower, but, you know, being a leader, you have to be one of the six example, the precedent day in and day out. You know, people have to see the way you work. I think if people respond to leadership more, visual than they do audible like you tell someone to do something you know it's okay it's like okay well what are you doing they see you doing they see you putting the work see you putting the countless hours it's easy to fall in line so i just try to lead by example in everything i do whether it's my friend group or whether it's my you know my team or the community like it's just the role that i've been um that i've been placed into all right so uh you signed, you know, your first really big deal, uh, and that obviously provides all sorts of opportunities. But fair or unfair, you know, fans always seem to now view a player differently the minute they're getting paid a lot. And how how did you 
deal with that responsibility and 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 the you know the responsibility that comes with signing that contract not only to the to the organization but then just the 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 public impact especially as we live now in a world where so many people can reach you a lot easier with social media uh, what what's the feeling like i know it's an amazing accomplishment and feeling but with some of the challenges that come with it how, how have you dealt with that and and learned to approach those challenges well everybody's a critic you know i think that um you know, the biggest thing with fans, man, is that you know, I, you, you have nothing but love and, you know, for fans that come out and support us and the ones that, you know, are there for us day in and day out. They make home games. That was more special. But you got to take everything fans say with a grain of salt because one game, you're you're the best in the world. One day, you know, they, they love you. You're, you're on top of the world. And the very next game, they're, they're talking they're talking um, trash about you. You know, they're, telling, they're putting you down, kicking you while you're down. So, it's a hard balance you have to live with, but it's also the price of fame. You know, you once you're once you're touching this lifestyle, you have to learn and you got to develop tough skin very quickly. You know, the social media aspect is one thing that is huge. I, obviously, social media has its benefits, but I mean, it's just a uh, it's just a war zone, man. Just people just throwing comments out there about you, talking mess about your family, and talking mess about you know you. Just anything. Your know, fans will find anything even to push your buttons. But you just got to remain calm, cool, and collected. It's um, it's not easy. There's times, there's, there's times where you know I've shot back at fans, or you know I've I've said things, made obscene gestures, whatever you want to call it. Like you know, it is what it is. But um, you once you get to the league and you, you just kind of develop that tougher skin over time, it makes that it makes that much easier. You know, I love love the fans to death, but you, know, you just kind of got to take everything with a grain of salt. All right, you mentioned uh, warm earlier. We all really matter. It, it, it's one tentacle of of the the great community work you do uh and you strike me as someone i've heard you talk on the radio uh in dfw before about some of the stuff you do you know some people not there's anything wrong with this they have the resources they attach their name to something but you know they're not truly connected and i don't get the sense that's your situation this is stuff that you believe in you care about what what are some of the things that you do you already explained to us what warm's all about, but what are some of the other things you do? And, and I guess how important has that been and how enjoyable has it been for you uh, in your career? Yeah, I think it's BS when guys kind of, uh, you know, they have to have foundations or they'll have, you know, benefits, but they, and they just throw money out there, you know, like don't be wrong. It's for a great cause, but I've always been on the interpersonal side of things. Like I, I like to personally be involved with everything I do. You know, I think that it's, one, it speaks more genuinely to the fans. Two, um, you know, when people see the impact you have with the platform that you have and you're getting back and you're just doing it out of the kindness of your heart, I think it strikes a little bit differently than just, you know, attaching your name to something or just uh, throwing money out there. Like, it's just, to me, it's just lifeless. So everything I do, like my basketball camps here in the, uh, that, I, that I host every year, you know, I've been able to host in the past two years, one uh, this year because of the corona, last year because of Team USA, but um, I, I host those camps every year, and I'm I'm in every single drill. You know, I, I don't just sit in the stands and have a microphone. No, like I'm I'm in the drills with the with the kids. You know, I'm running around, I'm coaching, I'm blocking shots, I'm throwing stuff around. Like people, people kids love to see that. Kids love to see you like connected to it. They see you out there and thinking you're just one of them. It's like it gives them some kind of hope. Like man, I can do this too one day or oh, man, he really cares about us, you know, and I do. And I care about, I genuinely care about all the kids that come to my camp, you know, there's, there's a couple kids that, you know, one of my kids just actually just signed a scholarship. And, like, that's just, like, the 
the coolest feeling in the world to me to know that I might have had something to do with that or might have had um, some kind of impact, you know, in, in his basketball lifestyle. So that's one thing. Um, as far as my charity off and whatnot, I try to make sure it's known that, um, you know, nobody <laughs> – that nobody can come in and kind of, like, take my name off of it. Like, I always uh, am there. I always do interviews about it. I always tell people – you know, that I'm super connected to, to like all my charity. So I, I don't want to keep being a dead horse and get into it like that. But yes, I'm very connected to everything I do. If you don't mind, what are just for people listening, obviously Google's an, an incredibly powerful tool. I'm sure they could just search your name and find it, but what, what's the most direct way to, to see what you're doing and maybe get involved and, and help out in some way? Can you say that one more time? I'm sorry. Yeah. Just what's, what's the, the easiest way for people to find out what you're doing and, and get involved and maybe contribute to, to your various efforts? Um, well, I think the biggest thing is I, I try to put them out on all my social media platforms, like anything that I'm doing or, um, spreading awareness about certain things. Like I'll, I'll put them on my Instagram or my Twitter or really my Facebook is another big, big one too. My Facebook is like, it's just a huge following per se, but, um, no, I always find information out there. Anything that has to do with me or anything that comes from me or, or MTX Morgan or my, um, my LLC, like I put it out there on my social media platform. So yeah, that's the, that's really the best way. I mean, you can follow me on Instagram at Turner underscore miles and on Twitter at uh, original underscore Turner and Facebook is just my name. All right. A few quick hitters, miles, and then we'll let you go. I uh, don't judge me for this. I've never seen star Wars. I know you love star Wars, uh, but it's on, it's like the top of the list of things that I need to do. What's on the top of your list is something you want to try. You want to learn something you'd like to do. Hmm, top of my list. And I want, I want to try to do, um, that is a good question. A quick hitter. Um, I'd probably say, I I think I want to, I can see myself like, I'm a big outdoors guy. I love being in, like, like you said, I was just in Wyoming. I love being in nature. I love being outdoors. I think it'd be kind of cool to, I don't know, do, do something like, what's something extravagant I've never done outdoors? I've just done everything. <laughs> Jumped out of a plane? I wouldn't. I'm not a risk taker like that. I don't know why. <laughs> Me I neither, man. Playing, playing with their life like that. No, I'm not jumping off and jumping on any planes on the little cliff. I'm not into all that kind of stuff. Uh, I guess I could learn to. Uh, guess I could learn to like a uh, like fly fish. I know how to fish, but fly fishing is something that'd be kind of cool. I mean, I don't know. I just gotta do something different. All right, you love Legos. Do you have a, a something a Lego uh, structure you've built that you're most proud of? Yeah, I built a Death Star. That was about, um, ooh, that was roughly 5,000 pieces. And it took a lot of time, a lot of patience, a lot of very meticulous little, uh, <laughs> um, like, blocks and stuff that you had to put together. Like, it's different from all the other Star Wars sets. So that one's one I'm probably most particularly proud of. I know you like traveling. Next place you've got to go that you've you've not been. Oh, I want to go to Greece. I've always wanted to go to Greece, like Mykonos or... I don't know, Athens. I just, I've always heard that Greece is kind of a dope spot, so I kind of want to check that place out. All right, last one. Favorite block in your career? Oh, wow. Favorite block in my career? Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it had to be the block on LeBron. I mean, that was like in my rookie year. It was kind of like a, a welcoming moment. Like, people kind of heard my name, like, knew my name after that. So that was probably like the most, like, uh, that, was, that was probably my most, uh, my favorite block. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's be real. Who wouldn't want a block? The King, LeBron James. Well, there you go. That's my conversation with Miles Turner. I really, really hope uh, you enjoyed that, man. What, what an awesome young 
person who there's no doubt is capable of doing big things on the court, but uh, is someone who is capable and so willing, it seems like, to have an impact beyond that. And that story of uh, his own fan section and how involved he is, that, that was uh, that was really cool. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation. A reminder, you know, if you enjoyed it, you want to share it with friends, you can you can share the link, subscribe, like, spread the word. I, I'd really, really appreciate uh, you know your your help in getting this stuff out there. Uh, next week we'll release two more episodes, starting with Jason Walsh. Who's Jason Walsh? Well, if you're from the Metroplex and you watch the the Mavs or the Stars or the Rangers or any number of other events programming on Fox Sports Southwest, then you probably should know who Jason Walsh is because he basically runs the show. He's the executive producer, but has a, a strong background with the Dallas Stars. He's been a part of so much, so many great stories, so many big decisions, and uh, it was great getting a chance to chat with Jason about his career and his experiences. So that is going to be our next Justice Set conversation released next week. Plus, after that, we'll talk with Sarah Perlman from NBC, who is getting really involved in the gambling craze that seems to only be growing. So that's the Justice Set conversation for today. Plus, what's coming up? Thanks so much for enjoying. We'll talk soon.